Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party Pet Life Radio with me, Deb Wolf, and I've invited back to the show Liz White. And she is from the Animal Protection Party of Canada. Welcome back to the show, Liz. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful. Oh, it's so good to have you. It's just a fresh, fresh insight and look at things and some big picture thinking, which I I really welcome. So I went to your site last month when I was uh, talking with you and learning about the Animal Protection Party of Canada. And I noticed you have several different objectives going for farm animals and to help research animals, hunting, fishing, trapping. So I just wanted to let people know what you're up to. What are you doing for the farm animals? So with the farm animals, our goal is to, of course, in the broadest sense of the term, in the word is to move people away from eating and wearing animals to a, uh, a more um, compassionate way of living, I would argue, uh, so that... Uh, looking to move towards a plant-based uh, lifestyle. I think under if you look at the current situation with animals, there is just no way in Canada, I would argue in the United States, in most of Europe and around the world, there is no way you, in most cases, in intensive animal agriculture, that you can deliver humane meat. <laughs> it's not possible because of, of, for a variety of different reasons, largely because it's intensive rearing. And so uh, it's about demand for uh, cheap meat products and all that sort of stuff. And so what is expended in that whole process is, is animal welfare issues. So, you know, we look at things like, uh, would you uh, transport animals in extreme weather conditions? Well, the answer to that is yes. Even if the birds freeze on the truck, you have to get them to the slaughterhouse because if you don't, there won't be enough meat at the supermarkets for people to eat. So animals are loaded. So I sat through a court case with a, a company called Maple Lodge Farms. It was charged by the Canadian Food Inspection Agency for inhumane transport of chickens. And they would go to a barn, 40,000 animals in the barn. These are lay, hen, laying hens. So they're, uh, d- they're very much compromised. They don't, basically don't have any feathers. Uh, their calcium is low, they break the bones easily, all that sort of stuff. So these are birds that are going to make like chicken dogs and and things like that. 40,000 birds in a barn loaded in eight hours on four trucks. And a bunch of them, of course, froze to death uh, because the barns were left open. And for eight hours, they sat in the cold weather, either in the barn or on the truck, uh, and then arrived at Maple Lodge Farms for slaughter, uh, frozen. And Um, it was made clear at that court case that the birds had to go. It didn't matter if they were going to freeze or not. The demand was there. The company was set. The the slaughterhouse was prepared. The lines were ready. The birds had to be there. And so there they came. And so there was a whole expose at this court case in which the judge ruled that, in fact, Maple Lodge Farms had transported birds inhumanely. that it was impossible to stop the process. So we need to take a close look at the whole animal agriculture thing. And 
And more importantly, I would say, as importantly, um, is that it, it affects us as human beings because it contributes 25% of greenhouse gases, which contribute to global warming and the global crisis, the, the global warming crisis we have uh, worldwide. And so unless we change our behavior, unless we do things differently, um, we are going to face a, a, a global environmental crisis. And part of it will be because of the way we um, consume animals and the relationship we have with those animals. So we're saying to governments, let's change. Um, if you're going to give subsidies, give them to plant-based agriculture, give them to smaller farmers. Let's change the dynamic here. We're not saying you can't produce uh, uh, meat. All we're saying is that if you're going to produce meat, we're not going to subsidize you and people are going to have to pay fair market value for that, uh, for, for eating those animals. It's crazy right now that we pay more for vegetables. I pay more for a head of broccoli than I would for two breasts of chicken. What? Why, why is that? That doesn't sound right to me. I don't pay more for a head of broccoli. Why? Because the chicken industry, the beef industry, the pork industry are all subsidized by government so that they can deliver a cheaper product for people to eat. And so you look at those subsidies and you think, why don't we give those subsidies to people who grow cauliflower, broccoli, tomatoes? Well, what, what about a, a forgiveness of income tax or something like that, property tax for every person who pulls out their stupid grass lawn and plants a vegetable garden? Pardon me, but I, this just drives me crazy. I see lawns and lawns and lawns and lawns. What's the point of that? Grow some food, will ya? Well, I, and I, I, I think that's exactly, you know, it's a rethinking of issues people talk about fruits. Or, or even grow some wildflowers for the birds and the bees like just grow something that's useful please not this just water sucking uniform crop that nobody eats like what is that what's the love of grass i mean okay now we're going to get into golf courses i'm going to have to do a little thing on golf courses i do not like golf courses we're going to come back from break and hear why i don't like golf courses i know this is a little off liz white's uh <laughs> list of things to cover for the animal protection party of canada but we had her on a month ago and she told us how they're making a difference in canada and how Politics is part of this. You, you can't be apolitical and expect to make change. And so they're a political party in Canada that stands up for the animals and makes sure that animals get on the agenda. And we're going to come back from break and talk about golf courses. If you're a golf person, if you love golf, you're not going to like what I'm going to what I'm going to say. Stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with you 
your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select Petco locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello! Welcome back to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. We're here with Liz White from the Animal Protection Party of Canada. And they are doing some great work to help research animals and animals who are hunted, fished, or trapped, transported. Uh, to end international puppy mills, which is a pet peeve of mine. But also, um, I just want to talk about golf courses because I see these signs. It used to drive me so, uh, get me so upset because I'd be walking through some beautiful area like uh, the Musqueam Trails in uh, Pacific Regional Park near the, near the ocean in the forest in Vancouver. Beautiful, beautiful place. And I'd see these stupid little signs that would tell me that I that my dogs are destroying the salmon eggs. My dogs are the cause of the salmon problem. This is right next to the Musqueam Golf Course, which is irrigated and full of pesticides and constantly draining into these little tiny creeks and beautiful places where the salmon are supposed to hatch. And what I mean, are there no coyotes? Are there no wolves or foxes? Are there no animals in this woods traveling through the creeks? Why would a dog disturb the salmon eggs when you're flooding it with pesticides? That's what I want to know. And if you think that in Florida, you don't have a golf course problem, you got red tide. Why do you have red tide? Because the pesticides are flooding out of those darn golf courses. Come on. You want to play golf? Make it challenging. Try it in an actual meadow instead of this stupid manicured thing you create that pollutes everything around it. Okay, I will stop, Liz. I'm sorry. It's your turn. If you want to, if you want to clarify something there, maybe I'm wrong on something. But the golf courses really, really make me upset. Well, I think I think all of what you talked about with golf courses is, is uh, correct. Um, one of the things that we actively do, although it's our our nonprofit organization, the Animal Alliance of Canada, that works more on this, is to do to see if we can get people to think about uh, relationships with wildlife differently, and that often is on on golf courses. So, golf courses often have to deal with coyotes, often beaver, certainly in Florida, you know, alligators, crocodiles, all those sorts of animals um, that are attracted to um the patches of water and stuff that are on golf courses yeah um so we're working you know we're we're working to build a um compendium of uh documents that talk about how to manage wildlife from a non-lethal manner um and and in doing so we did one on on canada geese uh a number of quite a number of years ago and looked at what was called an eco-friendly golf course so they they don't pesticide and they don't fertilize. Um, they leave everything pretty much in um, uh, in its original state, like wildflowers and trees and everything. Um, and the greens and stuff are are, are just simply mowed. 
um, and, 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 and the uh, fairways are simply mowed and as narrow as they can possibly be. So it, it's a com- it was a completely different look at a golf course. And in fact, that golf course, of course, attracted all kinds of wildlife. Yeah. Hummingbirds. Oh, my gosh. Where is this golf course? Now that I've mentioned, I can't remember where it oh. is in our manual. Because it would be so much more enjoyable to spend a day there than on the manicured type. It's in the States, I think, somewhere, but I can't Uh. remember where. The big conflict on golf courses is Canada geese because they love grass that's been cut and they will go there and eat. And some of the golfers don't like the what they leave behind from eating the geese. Yeah, they have huge poop. They do. And they can be aggressive. But I want to know, like in, in California, they were giving them pellets to sterilize them. In other places, they've been killing them. What's going on with the Canada geese? Are they still being attacked like that? Oh yeah, I mean in BC, in Vernon, BC, they're they're planning a cull of uh, on, uh, I think several hundred geese. They're spending about forty thousand dollars to do it um, because the geese come there when they molt, and people don't like them in the park. So they're going to be the Vernon is planning to kill. I believe Kelowna is as well. So all of a sudden. You know, where we beat that back in the East, that's sort of a growing movement in the West. And so we're in the process of trying to figure out how to advise the councils to do it differently. And and there's all kinds of um, examples of places that have managed these uh, these birds differently without any uh, without any culling. So, um, you know, whether we can convince them or not, we'll see. But I guess it'll be a political fight. (laughs) It always strikes me, I know your organization is all about veganism, but it always strikes me as a tremendous waste when they take something like that and kill it when there's hungry people who would want to eat it. I I don't, I don't understand that disconnect. And I, I don't understand a lot of what motivates the people who kill these animals. And if they're, as far as your party is concerned, when there is an overwhelming population outbreak, is the sterilization pellet a solution or is killing them or, or sterilizing them not a solution either? No, I, I, I think we don't know what all the um, non-lethal possibilities are. Uh, but for example, in deer, where we're dealing with uh, people who want to kill tons of deer in the East Kootenays in BC, where we've had communities that have had ongoing calls since 2011, we're saying try a, 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 an immunocontraceptive. Try something different. We tried a relocation program, and we pay. We helped pay for part of that relocation program. We bought radio collars for the deer. Anything to try and stop the killing. See, part now of there's it. another one of these things where I just scratch my head because in some of these areas you're naming, it is really forbidden to allow your dog to chase a deer. Really, like they'll take it away. Your dog will be gone if it does it more than a couple times. But isn't that what they need? Dogs to chase these deers out of the communities humans live in, keep them in the woods. It seems to be a more sensible solution than a massive murder. Well, it's interesting, Deb, that you say that because when um, those communities had no bylaws for dogs, so they were many dogs are running at large in the communities off leash. And the the deer concerns were less. Oh, yeah, I'll bet because dogs chase deer, which, OK, not the best if your deer are endangered, but kind of good if you're overwhelmed with them. Right. Well, I think that the difficulty is that um, the dogs were often chasing them out into the highway and to other places yeah, that's where, true. where there were collisions. 
So I think managing the population in that regard, but you know, it's pretty simple in Oak Bay, for example, you know, one of the places in Victoria. Very posh you're talking about. Yes. They they had one year of a deer call. There was a big uprising and now they're doing a immunocontraceptive program. It's in its third year. It seems to be very successful. So we're, it's an experimental kind of thing because the uh, immunocontraceptive isn't approved for full use in Canada, but we're asking now that other communities be able to use it in a similar way because it's it's non-lethal the deer go on and live their lives they just don't have a lot of young well what happens if someone hunts and eats one of those deer do they then have fertility issues or hormonal issues or anything like that that's the argument that Hmm. um that many people are saying but you know any animal that has had an immunocontraceptive is part of an immunocontraceptive program is tagged so they have ear tags. So you don't have to shoot an animal with an ear tag. Yeah, that's it's true. Simple. That's true. Okay, we're going to go to break and come back and talk some more with Liz White from the Animal Protection Party of Canada. Stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with me, Deb Wolf. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Hello, we're back with Animal Party on Pet Life Radio, and we're talking to Liz White from the Animal Protection Party of Canada, which is a party. You could vote for them. They do run candidates in elections, and they also lobby to make sure that animals are part of the agenda. And uh, we're talking now, we're getting into my kind of territory. We're going to talk about dogs and pound release and research. I want to hear about this. Uh, It's been years since I've even wrap my head around this issue. What's going on with this, Liz? What We all kind of, all us animal people, the people who listen to my show usually have dogs and cats of their own, very connected to their own animals. They listen to the show to find out how to train them better or to find out interesting facts about how they think and how they work and how to communicate without words or how to get your dog to do what he wants or figure out what, what he wants uh, or to do what you want, this kind of thing. And um, the idea that our dog or our cat could somehow be taken from a backyard and end up in research or worse, or something could happen to a dog like ours, you know, just terrifying. So what's going on with this? I hate this, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, So um, 30 years ago, 30, 31 years ago, um, I, or longer, I found out that in fact, people's pet dogs uh, were used in research. It started in Ontario, and then we looked at the rest of Canada. And sadly, after 30 years of working on this issue, the same thing is happening. So across Canada, maybe 
it, it, I can't remember which year it was, but it's around 15,000 dogs and cats are used in research laboratories. These are pets, pet dogs and cats that are used in research laboratories across Canada. Ontario is the only uh, province that has legislation that uh, mandates um, the use of pets in research um, and uh, sets it out in law. I don't understand what you mean. You, they take your pet when it dies and they do an autopsy and they use the research because I've signed a pet over for that. A no. dog with cancer that died years ago no. when I was a kid and they use the research and I'm okay with that. That's not what you're talking about though, is it? No, we're talking about, so it, let's say you, you went out for a walk with your dog, your dog got scared and ran off and you couldn't find your dog, but somebody did find the, your dog and turned it into the local shelter. Okay. If that local shelter is requisitioned, is asked by a research facility to give up those animals and the shelter is agreeable to that, then your animal, if you don't find that animal, could end up in a research laboratory some 72 hours or so uh, after you lost that animal. So it depends on the situation. But, you know. And you're talking dogs and cats. Talking dogs and cats. So there's two types, two ways in which dogs and cats can get there. If they get lost and they're impounded in uh, because they're running at large in a community, those animals can go to research. And as we know, in the city of Winnipeg, the city years ago, the city of Winnipeg had a contract with the University of Manitoba to give their dogs, they did two to 300 dogs a year, to University of Manitoba to do whatever University of Manitoba was going to do with those dogs and then kill them. So we know it goes on. And we know that there are animals that are you know, most of the animals, I did all the freedom of information searches through the city of Winnipeg. Most of the, most of the puppies that went were puppies. Most of the dogs that went were puppies, young, you know, animals that were a little bit rambunctious, a little bit difficult to, uh, because they were young and rambunctious. Uh, most of them uh, that went to research were all very young animals. And, uh, and clearly, you know, some of them came with embroidered collars and tags and the whole thing. And those animals went to research. So those were animals that were impounded. They were running at large. But if you decide to, to relinquish your animal to a shelter, because say you have cancer, you have nobody to give your animal to, you give right. your Someone dies and they leave their dog. Yeah. Those animals can go directly to a research facility and be used for research. Now, in Canada, most of the dogs and cats that were pets that end up in research facilities are simply used to train veterinary technicians, veterinarians, medical students, and so on. So they're used for physical things. Um, so repeated intubations, breaking and resetting legs, all sorts of those sorts of things. And at the end of it, they're not adopted out, they're disposed of disposed of. So, you know, what it what it shows is that even, even in Canada, even those animals that we consider near and dear to our hearts, those animals that sleep on our bed, share our home, spend hours walking with us, you know, are, are part of our community and our home are not are not safe. Okay, so Liz, you're talking about Canada, but I just want to ask you, is the picture any better in the United States? No, it isn't. Um, they use about 50,000 dogs and cats a year, I believe, in the United States. So given the size of the country, it's probably 
lower in, in percentage wise, but they still use them. And they use them in many labs in as PETA and other organizations have uh, shown uh, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine that some of these animals are used in pretty terrible experiments. Uh, and so, you know, they, uh, these are, you know, these are animals. I mean, most people, when you talk about this stuff, think that wouldn't happen to our pets. It wouldn't happen to our pets. It's not true. The amount of time that, Deb, that we have trouble convincing people that in fact, their dog or their cat is not safe in their community is something people simply can't believe. But at the end of the day, we dealt with a dog named Royal. He wandered off his property. He's 13. He had an embroidered, he had embroidered collar with his name on. He had dog tags. He had been treated for hot spots. He'd been groomed. He had his nails clipped. He wandered off his property. The person who picked him up didn't know where he belonged. So they called the local um, animal control. The local animal control picked that royal up. And within hours of ending up at the pound, he was sold to research. And he walked off the truck at age 13. They said, hmm, too old for research. They killed him on the spot. And nobody had a chance. The, the, the person who loved this, passionately loved this dog, um, had no chance to find him and save him. And so you realize when you look at that situation that animals are just not safe anywhere. Wow. At least we can go online. It used to be you had to go to the local shelter if you found an animal to get anywhere. But now you go online and there's all kinds of postings and usually you can relocate pretty quickly the dog or the cat with the person. And, it, you know, with this, when you talk about missing animals, cats are really hard to identify. Yeah. You know, and and uh, <clears throat> even if even when you're looking for your own cat and you see a picture that someone posts of a cat they found that is your own cat, your own cat roughed up and looking like garbage after it slept under a trailer doesn't look like your cat anymore. It's very hard to ID cats, especially if you don't know the cat, if you describe it. I've had so many situations where people are looking for a pet and they're describing it one way and it is their pet but they're describing a white poodle, but the white poodle is so darn dirty and matted. It doesn't look white anymore at all. It doesn't even look like a poodle. So yeah. they can't make that connection. So it is very hard to reunite with your animals. And that's why I always say lots of tags, not just microchips. In order for the microchip to work, it has to be in the back of the neck, which it may migrate to its foot, somewhere else in the body where they won't find it, has to stay in the back of the neck and they have to have an accurate scanner that works, which is both unlikely. So you know, when you're getting your dog or cat spayed or neutered, go for the ear tattoo at the same time. Uh, go for the microchip if you're not against it. I haven't done it with my pets for because I'm skeptical after seeing one move all the way through a gigantic poodle to the bottom of his foot. But I do the uh, I do have tags on them and more than one tag. And, you know, the little tag you get in the mail, it has this little ring. That's like a paper clip. It's so weak. Don't use that. Okay. Throw that out. Use a proper ring. Use one of the rings you have on the collar already that will actually hold your ID tag on there properly and make sure to keep that up to date. Don't put stuff on there. That's not, yeah, it's not your number anymore. Come on now. If your pet goes missing, have yourself for gosh sakes. And you know, your vet too, have the tags that show what vet you're at and then keep your vet up to date with your information because the person who finds your dog or cat may not want to call you, but they'll probably call your vet. Over here at Camp Good Dog, when I board dogs, I always put a tag on them, a Camp Good Dog tag. And if people, if the dog gets lost, 
I get the call way more than the owners because they'd rather just call it, you know, impartial stranger, not get involved in anything. They don't know. And I'll come get the dog and then call the owner, bring the dog home. It's very happy. A lot of dogs escape. A lot of cats escape. People aren't as vigilant as they think. So, you know, these are opportunistic, very smart animals, very clever. One day they don't know how to use the latch. The next day they do. So, you know, keep them, keep them ID'd. Okay. So that was a little off topic, Liz. I know we're ending right now. This is our, our second show. And we talked about pound release and research. We never got to what you're doing to help with the importation of puppy mill dogs. What's going on with that? Well, we were, we've, it's been a campaign um, that we waged very early in our, the start of our nonprofit organization um, where we were able to get a, a ban on the import of dogs that were genetically compromised or had some infectious disease. And that resulted in the number of dogs coming across the border from the United States to drop dramatically. Um, when that happened, we went from province to province to say, look, at if we need legislation in each province that bans puppy mills um, and, uh, and uh, in order to prevent the industry from popping up here. Of course, the provinces didn't really want to do that. And so places like Quebec and Ontario, uh, you know, are heavily puppy milled and uh, producing lots of animals. Um, and now we see that there are huge numbers of animals coming from other countries, and that has very real implications for these animals. I don't know whether you saw, but at, at Pearson Airport a number of months ago, the French bulldogs, a, a, quite a large number of them came and about 38 of them died. Oh, my God. And they probably shouldn't have even been traveling. There are those. No, they were too young. And, and, and not properly, you know, all, all the sort of stuff that you know not to do with these little animals. Uh, but the demand is great. And so when we're in this situation, we need legislation that prohibits the import of these animals. For, for I see it from a different direction. I see it from the people who are so disappointed after they've been ripped off and they've spent so much money and the dog never comes or, and that that's, I've just got a call like that yesterday yeah. or they, um, or, and there was the worst ones, the worst ones are when they have a special needs kid and they spend maybe 10 grand for some special dog that's supposed to solve all their kids' problems and detect seizures and, you know, everything under the sun. And they wait and they wait and they wait and the kids homeschooled waiting to go to school and the dog never comes because they rip them off. I see that. I also see that those foreign breeders sometimes do send a puppy, but either the journey messes it up or they're picking their worst because why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? We, you know, you really need to go and meet the people and meet the parents when you're buying a puppy and see they're healthy and happy and they want to meet you and the tails are wagging. They look bright eyed and bushy tailed and friendly. If, if anybody's not, then walk away. That's not, that's not good. You know, use your common sense. The problem, Deb, is that, you know, if you I deal with people all the time who go, you know, bought a dog off Kijiji <clears throat> or, you know, met somebody in a parking lot and picked up a puppy and, you know, and, and the dog, the puppy had problems. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty hard you have to be pretty hard hearted to say, OK, I'm just taking this puppy back because you know what's going to happen to that animal. Oh, yes. Oh, no, you're locked in. 
you're locked in then. And some, what I saw too was when there's many, many people here who are just so loving and they go on a vacation somewhere like Thailand or Mexico and they fall in love with some street dog that's a real opportunist, real, real good dog, real smart, real clever, susses them out in no time. And they end up bringing it here. But sometimes with it comes God awful parasites and diseases that our vets don't know how to deal with. And it's months of some kind of weird mange and worms and health problem after health problem after health problem. Okay, I, I understand the need to rescue, but there are so many rescue animals here. Even during Corona, there are, you know, you just, and yeah, there, it's true. It, you can find bad apples on Kijiji, but you can also find rescue dogs there. You could also find good breeders there. I just want to make sure people meet, like really do your due diligence. Don't go buy websites and order online when it comes to pets. You know, it's, it's, um, it's really important to see they're healthy and happy and clean, that their area is clean, that you, you feel good about it is really important. And that we don't support industries like that. Yeah. Don't give yes. to industries like that. That's right. That's right. That's right. It used to be this kind of thing was at the flea market. Like there were versions of this or, or pet stores where you would go in and there'd be 10 different, 10 puppies from 10 different litters all mixing together under age. And it would just make me go, oh no, what diseases are they exchanging? This is terrible, you know, but, um, but now it's gone online. So we just have to beware and, and be smart about it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Liz. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. We're going to post beside and we're going to have links to your website, but just so people, could you just let people know what's the best way to find out more about your party? Is to go to the uh, animalprotectionparty.ca. Okay. And if you're interested in other issues, uh, our other organization is animalalliance.ca. So you could go to both. Thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Deb. Have a great day. Okay, you too. All right, everybody. From me, Deb Wolf, and Animal Party and Pet Life Radio, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.